Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4. Last time we were together, we talked about how God called uh, Samuel, the boy Samuel, to serve him and to give a prophetic message to Eli, who was the high priest in Israel, and he was the guardian of Samuel. So Samuel's parents lived in a different part of Israel. Samuel because of a vow his mother had made, had been dedicated to the Lord's service. And so after he was about three years old, he was brought up at the tabernacle by the high priest Eli and served there. The story shifts in chapter four. And we leave Samuel and Eli for a minute. And we get a general sense of the goings on in Israel. Samuel is arguably the last of the Old Testament judges. There's the book of Judges in the Hebrew Scripture. And it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I believe that it is informative and speaks to our current uh, age. And what you find in the book of Judges is that God never intended his people to be ruled by a king. God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. He intended it to be a theocracy. We live in a democracy ruled by the people. God intended Israel to be a theocracy ruled by God. Theo is the uh, Greek word for God. So he said, if you keep my commands, I will protect you. You don't have a need for a standing army. I will defend you. You don't have a need to amass chariots and weapons. I will defend you. I, if, you, if you keep my statutes, I will bless your crops. There are all these things that were involved, blessings that were involved in being part of this covenant with God. But what we find is that not long after the death of Joshua, who was the successor to Moses, that there were these cycles of sin, rebellion, conquer, and repentance. So the people would sin. That sin would lead to rebellion against God. So the blessings and protections of the covenant were no longer applicable. So the enemies of Israel would come in and they would raid them, they would pillage them, they would conquer them, they would oppress them. And after a time of that oppression, they would cry out to God and God would send deliverers called judges. And these judges would do everything from kind of settle disputes sort of bring some sense of governance to the people, but also maybe be prophets and speak God's word to the people. Maybe they would uh, deliver God's people by leading a rebellion. And then after a while, the cycle of sin and rebellion and oppression would begin again, leading to repentance and God raising up another deliverer. The end of the book of Judges, the last one we get is Samson. And Samson's interesting because he doesn't actually deliver the people of Israel all at once. But you can trace from Samson historically a progress that happens where from Samson, the people begin a process of a, of a connected and um, 
concerted effort to drive out their enemies. You see, under the judge, the people of Israel never came together in unity. A judge would come and some of the tribes of Israel would respond. A judge would rise up and on their own, they would bring God's deliverance. But the people, all 12 tribes together, never unified. But we see from Samson onward that there starts to be a return of a sense of national identity for the people. And they start to collectively, as Israel, fight back. I think that's kind of an interesting thought for the church. I don't believe we're at war. I, I, I reject the idea of Christian nationalism. I, I, I'm not looking for a, a Christendom or, you know, a crusade. But the church is both individual and collective. I'm, an, I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. No one can be saved for me. I'm not saved by being part of a church. But once I am saved and once you are saved, once we have a saving faith in Jesus, we are brought into this collective family of faith. It's one of the reasons that I go regularly to the North Clackamas Pastor's Prayer. It's one of the reasons that I choose to be active in our conference of churches is because I believe that we should not be isolated. I believe that as a church, we should be connected with other people churches, other Christians, that we should recognize the body of Christ, and we should recognize those true saints in the churches around us and the churches all over the world. And it's frustrating at times. It's hard at times. I'm sure there are times where there, the, 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 some of the pastors at the prayer meeting are going, what is that guy saying? And there's times where I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, who let them in? It's just how it goes. But the idea is that they had started as a unified front to battle against their enemies. Verse 1, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring us defeat today before the Philistines. Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh so that we, he may go with us and save us from the hands of our enemies. It starts off good. It goes bad. It feels like they're going to turn it around and then it goes even worse. Here's what I mean by that. It starts off good. They're together. They're unified as a people. They're working together in a common cause for a good thing, ridding themselves of their oppressors. And then they're defeated. It goes bad. And so that night, around the campfires in their army camp, the leaders get together and they do sort of a, a you know, a, 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 they kind of triage the situation. They do a, a, a deep dive. They say, what, what happened here? Let's, an, let's analyze this. Let's figure this out. And they ask the right question. Why did the Lord allow this defeat? That's, that's the right question. Sometimes a person or a group of people will have an issue, will have a problem, and they aren't asking the right questions. But sometimes you ask the right questions, but it's not that you ask the right or the wrong questions that you don't want to get the answer. Because they ask the question, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? And then instead of getting an answer, 
they come up with their own solution immediately. Hey, let's get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. That's the problem. We didn't have enough. We will, we're asked the question, but we already kind of have an answer in our heads. And so they go and they get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and they say, hey, this will do it. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So you got Hophni and Phinehas, who we have seen in, in previous studies, are corrupt, wicked men. And they're bringing the Ark. Oh, everything's good. They're not asking, why is God not with us? They asked the question, but they didn't really want the answer. Could it be the, the widespread sin, the widespread corruption, the right widespread immorality that was going on in Israel that was exemplified or typified by Hopni and Phineas, but was almost certainly rampant across the people. So they bring it in. And when the ark of the Lord, verse 5, came into the camp, Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what is all this shouting about in the Hebrew camp? So you can imagine, let's say that there's a little valley, and on one side's the Philistines, on one side's the Hebrews, and they're maybe a couple miles away from each other, and they can kind of see each other, but they're not so close that like a fight's going to break out unintentionally. And then if you're sitting in the Philistines, you feel pretty confident, and then all of a sudden you hear all this shouting. What's going on? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, they were afraid. That, that means they had spies there. They hear what's going on. They said, God has a God, not the God, a God, a God has come into their camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We are doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been subject to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So what's happening is... They get word, they, the Philistines, get word that the Israelites have brought the ark into their camp. Now, the ark is exactly what you think it is. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, it's not like Indiana Jones, but it looks like it. They did a good job in the recreation of the ark. Now, process it from the Philistines' point of view. They are not coming at it from a biblical way of thinking. And so they hear that what they would perceive to be an idol, just like they had idols, had come into the camp. But that's not what the ark was. The ark was to carry the, the Ten Commandments. It was to carry some, uh, a jar that had some of the manna in it from the, the wilderness experience. Uh, the ark was where the blood from the once-a-year atonement sacrifices was to be sprinkled. Uh, it was representative of of a meeting place, but it wasn't an idol. They did not pray to the ark. They did not worship the ark. In fact, that was strictly forbidden. But the Philistines are processing it through their way of understanding, which is something for Christians to think about. No matter what we do, we always have to be explaining because no matter what we do, 
people outside the church will always process the church from their point of view, whether it's from a book they've read, a movie they've seen, somebody that they meant uh, that they met one time who claimed to be a Christian but was just a weirdo. You know what I mean? Like the, they're always going to process the church from their point of view. And so we have to bring Jesus and continually explain what we believe because it's always going to be processed in a way that isn't what we believe, but it is what they understand. Now, they're afraid because in their way of thinking, the idea that a God, which they would have seen the ark as an, as an idol, as a God, had come into the camp and they genuinely believe in these things. So psychologically, they're freaked out and somebody rallies them. Be men, be strong. You have to fight because if you don't, you will be oppressed just as you have oppressed the Israelites. So they rally together and the Israelites are defeated and they lose 30,000 soldiers. And the ark is captured. Now, if you're the Philistines and you capture someone else's idol, someone else's God. That shows that your gods are superior, that you are superior to their gods, uh, and, and, and it, it confirms that you are right and they are wrong. Just the same way as there are many who, uh, they feel like it's just confirmed, oh, these, you know, these Christians aren't real, you know. Uh, did, you see, did you see another Christian leader fell into scandal? Uh, did you see that church over there that's, uh, you know, causing all kinds of shenanigans. And so it's confirmation to them. It's not asking the question, who is the true God? What is the true faith? It's just our own things that confirm our own biases. But now Israel is led into defeat and the prophetic word that God gave Samuel that Eli's sons would be cut off because of their wickedness came to pass. Verse 12, the same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So this guy saw what had happened, saw the Ark of the Covenant captured, saw the sons of the high priest killed, saw the defeat, the, the absolute massacre of his people. And in grief, he tore his clothes. He threw dust on his head, which is an uh, ancient sign of mourning and despair. And he runs to Shiloh where the tabernacle was and where the priest was. And there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. So they, they came, they took the ark, and Eli is now sitting by the road in a chair waiting for it to return. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. And Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of the uproar? And the man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so he could not see. And he told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I have fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army suffered heavy losses. Also, your sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was an old man and he was heavy. And he led Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery and when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and then her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. 
She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory of God has departed from Israel. And because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and husband, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. I cannot, as a father, understand hearing that both of my sons had died, but then only really responding at this other news about the ark. I can't process it. I'm from a different time, a different place, a different culture, different understanding. But that's what would have gotten me. But the ark represented the pinnacle of their culture, just as the temple later would. It was a work of great craftsmanship. It was an enduring relic. It brought them connection to the time of Moses and Joshua of the exodus and the return to the promised land. And now it's gone. That great symbol has been destroyed. What would cause us to lose our faith? I think about that. What symbol destroyed? What institution forsaken? What person fallen would cause me to lose my faith? And it is a valid question because if my faith is in God then the answer should be nothing. But if my faith is in arcs, if my faith is in people, if my faith is in institutions, then there's all kinds of ways in which I could lose my faith. But Jesus is real, and Jesus has saved me, not the church. I'm saved by Jesus, and now I'm part of the church. Because Jesus is real, We've created some institutions to help in our work of spreading his good news. Because Jesus is real, there have been leaders raised up in the church to help in our mission. But if they fall, Jesus is still real. And we see the great tragedy. I don't have a lot to say about the, the wife of Phineas and her, her, her tragedy, this, the birth of her son Ichabod. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot you could see here and you just say, this is just tragic. The one thing I'll say as we close with, and I want to be careful because I'm a little bit, uh, I'm working on losing a few pounds. But it, it says that Eli was 98 years old and heavy. In those days, in subsistence cultures, how did you get fat? You got fat because you weren't doing work. You got fat because you were very rich. You got fat because you were take, you know, you had more than you needed, which was unusual in subsistence cultures. You know, even in places where they're not like, they're not destitute. They're not, you know, they're not like at the end of their rope. Like it's unusual to see somebody who's, you know, overweight like that. And what it speaks to is as wicked as Hophni and Phineas were, Eli had his own share of the sin. If I had to guess, he was taking more than his share was supposed to be. He was taking more food from the sacrifices than was allowed in the law. He wasn't doing the work that he was to do. He was sitting around and he got fat. And I think that's the thought and the challenge as we close today is that we be doing the work that God has given us to do. We be active and moving spiritually so that we can be on God's mission together. 
I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. Audio versions are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Our video versions are on our Facebook. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here. You can email me, adam, at faithonhill.com. If you have any comments, questions, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.